Our speaker today was born at an early age, and that's all I got. Um, so I'm here, you're here, we're here. Um, President Mark is not here. He's traveling this week in British Columbia, and I'm sure he'll be watching online. But um, as we begin a semester, um, it's a good day. So let me pray, and then we'll dive in. Lord God, may your word be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Through Jesus Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. Okay, so here's where we're going. I've got one, two, three, four, five, six sections. So we should be done by lunch, I'm thinking. So, I'm going to start with an apology because that's what you should always do when you speak. Uh, so, I apologize ahead of time. Um, so, I want to apologize for the last time I spoke. Right at, I spoke right at the end of the series last semester. You may recall that I spoke on the generosity of God. And I began my talk with uh, a video of a test that was done um, for people who had been given the opportunity to play with puppies. And after the time limit was up, they were given a choice. Uh, they were given $50, and you can say, you can keep the $50, or you can forego the $50 and let somebody else play with the puppies. And so the test was to see if people would pass along being generous or not. And then I outlined my talk. And as one part of the outline, it was called Take a Diversion. I need to apologize to Dr. Mike Schmidt, and to others who thought that this section was going to be a time where we were going to play with puppies. <laughs> Disappointment ensued, and I apologize for letting you down, but just to let you know, once again, there are no real puppies present for this talk today. That'd be quite a trick to get one for everybody. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so for an introduction, today at the beginning of the winter semester, we're starting a new series in, in Community Chapel. It's something a bit different, and while it's been done before in chapel, and so it's not unheard of, it's not a pattern that we typically follow, but this semester in Community Chapel, we are going to be doing a book study. So we're going to be studying the book of 1 John. And so the book has been divided up into sections, and so by the end of the semester, we'll have gone through the entire book of 1 John. And the title of the series is Giving Life. And each week, another section of the book is going to be presented. I'm very grateful for whoever decided to divide Scripture up into chapters and verses because this made it much easier for us to divide it up and to make sure that we didn't overlap with one another. Um, now, you know that one of the distinctions we have here about Prairie Colleges is that every degree program studies the entire canon. So there's four Old Testament courses, three New Testament courses, and if you're not in a degree program, if, but in a different program, a diploma or a certificate, then you get a subset of, of those courses. Now, consequently, all of you at some point are going to be taking Old Testament and New Testament courses. Have you ever noticed how these courses are titled? For example, reading the Torah, reading the gospel 
and Acts. So the point of the courses is that not only are you studying the content, but you're actually going to be reading the text that you're studying. Genius, isn't it? So don't be surprised when you go to a Bible course and all of a sudden you are required to read the content of the course as part of your study. So, all of that is a long rationale for me to ask you, at some point, take 30 minutes and read 1 John in its entirety. It's not a long book. It won't take you a long time. 30 minutes. If you read fast, you can read it twice in 30 minutes. So, um, take some time to read it through. I think what you'll notice is that you will say, oh, I'm familiar with that certain passage or those couple of verses, or you've heard sermons on different ones, but it'll give you a context of the entire, entire book. So um, that's just an idea. Okay, I'm on to my third one already. We're doing well. Um, as you probably know, but maybe not, President Mark is responsible for the series that occur in Community Chapel. Now, he doesn't decide in the vacuum, but he asks around, and in the process of choosing, he asks for advice and for counsel. And one of the considerations that he undertakes is to have a connection between fall semester and winter semester. And it's not always the case, but often it is, and it's the case in this year. So hopefully you'll remember, uh, at least, the fall semester series was on the fruit of the Spirit, and it was called The Abundant Life. And each week we took a look at one of the fruit of the Spirit and consider how it should be characterized in our own lives. And it was a time for us to, for those of us who follow Jesus, to think about the life of God's Spirit in us and how it's supposed to be evidenced in how we live our lives. So, with that in mind, thinking about what kind of people we should be, people who are characterized by the fruit of the Spirit, people who have love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, and self-control. People who desire this fruit of the Spirit. And people who realize that the attributes are not something that we have to whip up in ourselves, but are the result of the life of God's Spirit living in us. So the fruit of the Spirit is the life of the Spirit being worked out in our lives. So one question that comes into consideration is, so what? What now? How should we live? What difference does it make in our living that we have been given the fruit of the Spirit? What is the reality of the life of the Spirit at work within God's children? So the series theme for this winter semester is giving life. The life that we've been given is not to be kept within ourselves for only our own benefit, but the the life of the Spirit is a shared life. And we know this is something that needs to be true of all God's children. So are we known as people who give life? And what does it mean to give life? One word that comes up over and over again in the book of 1 John is love. The love of God, the love that we are to have for our brothers and sisters in the faith, and the love that we are to have for everyone around us. And the evidence of life in us is love that's given. The demonstration of love that we have for the world around us. 
So if you're the sort of person who likes foreshadowing, when you read a book or hear someone speak, here is a non-subtle form of foreshadowing about the connection between the life we are to share with the world around us and the source of that life being the love of God. So the way that I was thinking about it is that the abundant life and the giving life is really just a simple demonstration of what the Christian life is supposed to be. The Gospel of John tells us in chapter 3 that God loved the world so much that he gave his son, not so that God could condemn the world, but to save the world. The saving of the world, the giving of life to the world comes from God's love. And in Philippians chapter 2, we have the well-known passage that describes what Jesus did in humbling himself and going to the cross and God exalting Jesus. The purpose of all of that is so that all will confess that Jesus is Lord. And the verses preceding this passage inform us of the motivation of how we should live our lives. So this is Philippians 2, 1 to 4. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value yourselves Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but, uh, but each of you to the interests of others. So that's the connection that we're making between the two uh, chapel series. of The life that we've been given because of the God's Spirit in us now is a life that we give and share uh, with others. This picture illustrates all the books that you'll need to read while you're at Prairie College. You know, for the longest time when I began a new course in university and I got all the textbooks I needed, I would begin each book with chapter one. I would dive right into the content. I would skip over the preface or the introduction uh, of the book. I consider it to be a waste of time. Um, So I don't know if you do the same thing skip over the preface, skip over the introduction, and just head to chapter and chapter one. Um, what I have come to realize is my great error in assuming that the preface or the introduction has little to contribute. Reading what the author intends to say or prove is valuable information on how to read and understand the book. In many cases, the explanation Uh, the author provides is a worthwhile perspective on how to read the book. Um, And this is the point, isn't it? Isn't it to understand what the author is saying? And so if you're in the habit of skipping over the introduction or the preface of the books you have for class, try it sometime. And when you begin reading your uh, textbook, take a look at the introduction and see if it helps you um, find out what the book is saying. So what we have here in 1 John as we begin, so we're going to take a look at just the first four verses of 1 John. And this is a beginning. It's an introduction. It's not into the content that we'll hear over the course of the semester. So here's the text. 
That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, and which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Of course, I'm not certain how the other chapel speakers are going to be dealing with the book of 1 John. They may or may not include general statements about the book, but since I'm first, I get to make those kind of general statements. So unlike the two books that follow 1 John, cleverly named 2nd and 3rd John, there's no greeting at the beginning of this letter. Now, Hebrews is the only other New Testament letter that does not have a salutation or greeting. There's also no closing comment or regards ending the book. So, 1 John is not typical in this way uh, to other letters that we have as part of our canon. But it is a personal letter. It uses the first person. It's used plural and singularly. And when using such personal terms, we recognize the relationship the author had with the people that he was writing to. And as we journey through the book, we're going to notice over and over again um, that there is a pastoral tone and a ministry orientation to the writing. And there's also a concern being expressed as being brought forward by a love to those to whom the book is being written. One thing you'll notice in the book, and if you look at commentaries about the book, is that the book is being written to a community that is in conflict. And while there are particular reasons why this uh, conflict has taken place, we may not have the same conflict, uh, but the answer, I think, to the conflict or the correction to the conflict is relevant for us today. Some people have noted uh, that the events of the past couple of years, the church is more divided than it has been in previous times. Christians are divided in a variety of issues concerning the pandemic. Christians are divided on social and cultural concerns. Whatever divides us, the message of 1 John is going to point the way that we need to go with our faith and our walk. We'll read how we should, have, um, how we should behave to those around us. We will hear what kind of people we are since God has come into the world. All of these things are to help the people of God maintain a straight path and to live together in harmony and unity. For as the writer points out to us, there are two activities that we're going to be involved with. One is to bear witness, to give testimony to what we've experienced in Christ, and the next is to proclaim. We bear witness and we proclaim. So, I know some of you have been studying Hebrew because I go past the room that's got lots of windows and you're studying Hebrew. Some others of you that are, are going to study Greek. Now, I have never studied Hebrew, but I do remember studying Greek in seminary. On the first day of class, I had so wished I had paid attention more in English class. <laughs> because I forgot all about the parts of speech and what they're supposed to do, because in the Greek language, the order of words is not as important as it is in English, and so they start saying what these different words are doing, the role they're playing in the sentence, and you're kind of going, oh boy, I'm in trouble. 
Um, I, I managed to get through it. <laughs> so all that to say is if you take a look at a commentary, you will uh, see that one of the observations they make is what we read here as four verses, uh, different sentences in the text, is one sentence in Greek. So commentators describe um, the singular sentence characterizing the urgency that the author is wanting to get his message out. So what do we know so far? Well, it's a personal letter. It's written to encourage Christians not to be led astray uh, by people who seek to move people from what they believed. So the letter's important, and the writer forgoes the letter writing niceties, and he jumps right in. So he begins with this, in the beginning. Now this, I think, can remind us of two other places where we have this phrase, in the beginning, God created uh, the heavens and the earth. We read that in Genesis. Genesis states the origins of all comes from the word of God. God spoke and so it was. In the beginning is also the way the gospel of John starts. It focuses on the eternity of Jesus, the word of God. So in the beginning in Genesis is the time before creation. In the beginning in the gospel of John is also prior to creation as concerning the word, the person of Jesus. In the beginning, here in 1 John, has a bit of a different focus. While it gives us the reminder of what we have heard before, the author here is using the term in the beginning to help describe the word of life, which is reference to Jesus, the incarnate, the in the flesh Jesus. So I recently heard a preacher say that for us who believe and speak about what God has done, we tend to throw around the concept of incarnation pretty handily without giving due consideration of its groundbreaking implications and meaning. One of the points being made is that they're saying that Jesus has come to earth. And this coming to earth is a continuation of what was already existing as the Son of God. So, let me go on a little bit of a rabbit trail here in thinking about the Incarnation the coming of Jesus to earth. At some point or another, as we think about the person of Jesus, what his coming meant, of the things he did when he was on earth, what people thought about him, what they believed about him, whether he was who he said he was or not, my guess, we have thought one of two things. One thing we've thought of, why didn't Jesus come back when we had video and recording capabilities? So that we could take a picture, we could record a video, you could look at the Sermon on the Mount as it was recorded. You could see Lazarus being raised from the dead. You could see the feeding of the 5,000. Pick your miracle. It would be captured for you. Wouldn't a photograph or a video be better than nothing? That's one idea. To have Jesus on earth now where there would be lots of visual and audio record. So that's one way to think about it. Second thing is, I think how we think about it, if he didn't come when I'm here in the now, how about if I was there when he was there? So go back and join Jesus when he was on earth to be able to encounter him in the flesh. Wouldn't that be easier to believe? Well, I'm not certain that it is, especially when I think about myself. When I read the biblical record, my concern is not about the believability of Jesus, but my thinking is that I would have missed it. Since 
My concern is I have a tendency, I think, that I lean more to the Pharisaic side of things than being a follower of Christ. So my fear is that I have been on earth and I encountered Jesus and what people were saying about him. Would I have believed? I'm not sure. So I think there's two ways to believe that we can believe what we've thought about Jesus coming. So he either comes at a different time or we present ourselves to Jesus on earth. One more additional spring down the rabbit trail. It's what Jesus said in the company of Moses. One, I mean, not Moses. That'd be weird. Uh, once Jesus said in the company of Thomas, once Thomas had seen and touched the scars of Jesus, and Thomas states this. He says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus replies to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Think too of Jesus' prayer in John 17. Jesus is praying for the disciples. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes I consecrate myself so that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word. Now that's us here. Those who have believed the word of the apostles. So the author and what he's going to write about in, in 1 John comes from a place of proximity to Jesus. He writes using the first uh, plural first person. He says, we have heard, we have seen, we have looked upon, we have touched, we see it, we testify to it, and therefore we proclaim. What he writes is from a place of seeing, hearing, and being present with Jesus. The author is writing from a place of personal experience and knowledge. He is in the role of a witness, and a role that we're familiar with today. But notice that this witness is not to himself and what he knows. It is to the person of whom he speaks. From the beginning, he talks about the word of life. The life appeared, the eternal life, with God the Father. The fellowship that is being pursued, the fellowship that has been lost because of controversy, is sourced within God the Father and the Son. Jesus himself is the life of God and came to give eternal life to those who believe. And so all that follows in this book comes from that perspective. There is a beginning, there is a beginning and it predates everyone who reads. The person of Jesus in his flesh and blood was seen, heard, and touched. This Jesus, in fellowship with God the Father, is the source of fellowship between those who believe in the birth of Jesus we have just celebrated a couple of weeks ago. That's a beginning, too. If you've taken the book, um, well, if you've studied the book, if you've taken Introduction to Christian Theology, you've had it as a textbook, Delighting in the Trinity. The subtitle of the book is an introduction to the Christian faith, and the first chapter, I think, asks a great question. What was God doing before creation? Sometimes I think we think things either just kind of began when we showed up, or maybe uh, they began when God created everything. But the author in that chapter is asking us to think a little further back than that. He talks about the relationship, the fellowship, the community that the Trinity has. The relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
The creation of all that we see did not come because God needed it for some reason, but it came because it was an overflow of the relationship of the triune God. When John, when 1 John speaks about fellowship of God's people, it's a fellowship that is sourced from the word of life, who came to earth where he was seen, heard, and touched. This fellowship comes from who God is, revealed in God's Son, Jesus Christ. And those who come are too brought into fellowship with God and with one another. And this fellowship, this life we have that we've been given, comes through Jesus Christ. In John's Gospel, Jesus describes himself as the light of life, the bread of life, living water. In the book of Revelation, he's referred to as the water of life. The gospel that we have is Jesus' life. Whenever we use the term gospel, we are at least referring to the life that is made possible to all who come, and this life is in the person of Jesus Christ. From the gospel of John, chapter 1, says, in the coming of the word, he says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born of not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor of a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory and the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Here, in the first few verses of 1 John, what we're having demonstrated to us is a continuity what was before the beginning of time, the reminders of in the beginning, now come to the beginning of the person of Jesus Christ and the fellowship, his incarnation, and the fellowship the people of God follows in this line of eternal life coming from God. In these first few verses, it orients us, it grounds us, It gives us a perspective on our position. So as we go through the rest of the book, just like you to keep this in your mind, what began has now come. What came was seen, heard, touched, and proclaimed. We ourselves are witnesses. What we experience and live is the life of the Son of God in us. The result is a sharing in the fellowship the relationship between the Father and the Son through the life of the Spirit. This life that we have is both eternal and historical. And this is not only a vertical relationship between humankind and God, there's also a horizontal relationship between brothers and sisters of the faith. So, what we're going to hear over the rest of the semester how, is how this life works itself out in our relationship with others. It's not a life that we keep to ourselves, but it is a life that is given away. And as it has been given to us, we too give life to the world around us. And the life of Christ in the world around us, the life of Christ to the world around us is the life that the world needs.
We're going to close our time with reciting the Apostles' Creed, which is a statement of belief that has been passed down through the years, and it is what, its core issues of what we believe to be true. So from the words and the experience and the teaching of the apostles comes the Apostles' Creed. Just one explanation, and I probably don't even need this explanation. Um, we will talk uh, at near the end of the Apostles' Creed is the word Catholic, which means universal. It doesn't refer to anything else other than the word universal. So uh, just be reminded of that. Would you please stand and let us confirm together as we begin our semester and as we think about what we are going to hear about the word of life, that's the eternal life that's been given to us, let us affirm our faith uh, together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and on earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. A blessing for you, but before a blessing, first a benediction. Let us pray. God of love, as in Jesus Christ you gave yourself to us, so may we give ourselves to you, living according to your holy will. Keep our feet firmly in the way and where Christ leads. Help our lips speak the truth that Christ teaches us. Fill our bodies with the life that is Christ within us. We pray this in his holy name. Amen. Now a blessing. May the grace of Christ which daily renews us and the love of God which enables us to love all and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit which unites us in one body make us eager to do the will of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Go in his love. <laughs>